God had for me, and unfortunately for y'all, it gave me a lot. <laughs> but not just for today. Counting today, we are eight, way, eight weeks away from what? Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, probably the most important holiday in Christian religion. Followed very closely by Christmas. I would put Easter above Christmas. I know children may not agree. <laughs> but if it wasn't for the events that took place that weekend, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be having these discussions. We wouldn't be studying these words. And I think that's what John was wanting to make sure everybody knew when he wrote this series of letters. And it all started, uh, of course, with his gospel. But then he wrote these series of uh, these short letters here, right here in the back of the book, right before Revelation. He wrote Revelation too. He was a busy man. <laughs> but he had a lot of time in prison. So, <laughs> mm. But he wrote these for the purpose of sharing the purpose of the cross of sharing what resurrection means for each and every one of us. And the short answer is salvation. It means that we have access to God. It means that we don't have to suffer through the pains and sins of this world because we have the promise of eternity with God. We have the promise of a relationship with God. We have the promise of being something and someone different than who we have been before we met Jesus. And John really does point that out, and he starts in this first letter establishing the reason for his writing. And you'll notice it really quickly. Starting in verse 1, he says, We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about we. He's talking about the disciples, those who walked with Christ, those who talked with Christ, those who have been sharing these messages. And he's re reiterating that it's not just him who's sharing it, but others as well. And he's saying, we shared with you what was in the beginning, from what was from the beginning. We share with you Christ. Do you remember the words of John 1, 1? It's in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Christ. And he says, in verse 2, it says, This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testified to it, and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, 
Jesus Christ. We are writing these, these things so that our joy may be complete. And some versions say so that your joy may be complete. He's writing this not to berate the people in the church and tear them down and beat them up like some preachers want to do. Is You do this and you do this and you do this. He's going to point that stuff out, but he's writing so that their joy may be complete, so that your joy and my joy may be complete. And the only way that's going to happen, the only place we get joy is through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only path to true joy. And that's the purpose of his writing, is to introduce you to Jesus, to explain to you the importance of Jesus, to show Jesus to you, show you what it's like to walk and talk and live with Jesus, to fellowship with Jesus. He uses that word fellowship. That means that we gather and we share each other's burdens and we talk to each other and we pray with each other and we love each other. There's too much hatred going on in the world and in the church. There's too much berating and belittling and gossiping going on to be living the life that John puts out here and shows us, the life that Jesus has promised us. And he separates those things and shows you what the difference is. He's trying to make sure that we don't misunderstand the purpose of this letter, much less the purpose of the Word of God. He wants to make sure we don't misunderstand what happened on that cross on that Sunday morning when Jesus was resurrected. It's very easy to misunderstand what's going on in our own hearts. To misunderstand what we think certain things mean. It's very easy for us to misinterpret the word and twist it and turn it to fit our needs rather than the perfect will of God. And so he wanted to make sure right up front that we are writing these things so that our joy or your joy may be complete. C.S. Lewis kind of gave us a short interpretation of the difference between forgiveness and excuses. It comes down to our understanding of the words. In his book, The Weight of Glory, he said, I find that when I think I am asking God to forgive me, I am often in reality, unless I watch myself very carefully, asking him to do something quite different. I'm asking him not to forgive me, but to excuse me. But there is all the difference in the world between forgiving and excusing. Forgiveness says, yes, you have done this, but I accept your apology. I will never hold it against you, and everything between us two will be exactly as it was before. But excusing says, I see that you couldn't help it or didn't mean it. You weren't really to blame. If one was not really to blame, then there is nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. How many times have we, 
went to God and asked Him to forgive us when we're really saying, please excuse me, I didn't mean to. Well, we did mean to. We did sin. We knew full well what we were doing. But we're too scared to admit it and confess it. God wants to forgive us. And he even says he wants us to forgive one another, and that's something entirely different. We are all too quick to accept excuses for ourselves, aren't we? When it comes to forgiving someone else, we don't want to hear no excuses. And that person says, well, you forgive me. But we expect God to just sweep it away. God paid for it on a cross. He died for it. It's more than just sweeping it away. So when we ask for forgiveness, we should be earnest about it. We should be open and honest and confess, yes, God, I did that. And by forgiveness, I want you to take it away from me so I can't do it again. Because in my weakness, I probably will. I don't want to be left with an excuse. There's a difference there. And John wants us to go to that difference. He's trying to lead the people that he's writing these letters to to that difference, to know that there's a difference between asking forgiveness and living a life of Christ and just whitewashing Christianity. See, in verse 5, he picks up and he shows us what God looks like and what living that life looks like. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. I want you to think about that. It's not God is lit and there are shadows. It's God is light. And if you simply look at one of these light bulbs, you'll see there's no shadows at the source. Shadows come from things that try and get in the way. God is the source of true light. There are no shadows. There is no darkness in Him. It's what this world is. That's where we live, unfortunately. You see, in God, there's no darkness, there's no sin, no hate, no hurtfulness. If we try and stay in those things, then we not only call our we not only identify ourselves as liars, but we call him a liar and say, Oh, he can't help me. I'm going to stay in this stuff. See, John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
Did you hear that? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us not from some sin, but from all sin. God wants us cleansed from all sin. In our human nature, we may not see that here, but we know that as long as we strive toward him, we're walking further and further out of the shadows into his light, and sin will become less and less. And when we do have it, we will recognize it, turn from it, run for our lives to the light of God, and get away from it. And we will beg forgiveness for having done it. That's how God washes away our sins, is in the light of Jesus Christ. Through his blood, he cleanses us. They used to kill animals and let the blood pour over the altar. Jesus' blood has poured all over the altar of our hearts. Do we accept his sacrifice? Do we allow him to cleanse us and bring us into that light that God has? That light that God is? John continues, he says... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Last time I checked, God doesn't lie. It's already been written that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. The only way out is through Jesus. Too many times I hear people try and ask me and convince me that if God's so good, how come he's sending people to hell? I've got news for you. We're already on that road from the start. He ain't sending nobody there. We're making our own way. What he did send was a way off that road. A narrow path that leads to Jesus Christ at the cross. That leads to God in heaven. He sent a way out. It's hard to believe that the old rock and rollers got it right. Highway to hell and stairway to heaven. I ain't saying their lives were right. But it might have been on the more than they really believed. <laughs> Matthew tells us that the that the road is narrow way is hard. And there's going to be a lot of people on the easy road that leads to destruction. That's pretty paraphrasing, but see these words never really contradict each other like some people in the world want us to believe. They sustain each other. They lift each other. When you really get into it, one supports the other without fail. 
And John's telling us, find Jesus, follow Jesus, learn from Jesus, live like Jesus. And when you make a mistake, run back to Jesus. Because God is the light. And that's where we should be. And if we're trying to live in darkness and claim to be part of Him, we are lying. Not only to the world, but to ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves. And there are too many Christians sitting in pews today who are deceiving themselves. The simplest and easiest form of Christianity is to love one another. Jesus made it that simple. Love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And then love each other as you love yourself. When you really dig into the letters of John, that's what you see over and over and over again. There's a reason he's referred to as the beloved disciple. is because he learned how to love differently. He grew up in a fisherman's household. He grew up as a fisherman. Those are hard, hard people, especially in the first century. There's a reason we refer to sailors' language and actions. It's a hard, hard life. He learned to love. He learned to live a different way from following Jesus. And he wanted to share that with everyone around him. Yes, we are to seek forgiveness from God, but we're also to offer forgiveness to each other and to seek forgiveness from each other. C.S. Lewis also followed up in the way to glory. So when it comes to a question of our forgiving other people, it's partly the same and partly different. It's the same because here also forgiving does not mean excusing. Many people seem to think it does. They think that if you ask them to forgive someone who has cheated or bullied them, you're trying to make out that there was really no cheating or bullying. But if that were so, there would be nothing to forgive. They keep on replying, but I tell you, the man broke a most solemn promise. Exactly. That is precisely what you have to forgive. That doesn't mean that you must necessarily believe his next promise. It does mean that you must make every effort to kill every taste of resentment in your own heart, every wish to humiliate or hurt hurt him or to pay him out. The difference between this situation and the one in which you're asking God's forgiveness is this. In your own case, in our own case, we accept, accept excuses too easily in other people's, and then I accept them easily enough. That's a hard road to hoe, to borrow a term from our farmers. <laughs> it's too often that we run to God and say, oh, please excuse what I've done, when we really should be seeking forgiveness. But then when someone else comes up and says, oh, please excuse what I've done, we demand that he turn completely away from it without even offering forgiveness to them. And that's not the way we're supposed to be. 
If we expect God to be so freely forgiving, then we ourselves should be freely forgiving. Might even dare say we offer the forgiveness without them asking. And that's really, really hard. Then you have to confront them on what they've done. And they may deny having done anything. But I tell you what, as hard as it is, there's a release there. When you go to someone who has wronged you and you say, hey, what you did was wrong, but I forgive you. And they say, I didn't do nothing wrong. And you say, I forgive you anyway and walk away. All the guilt is in their hands. You know, that's what Jesus done for us. He said, you're sinning against God, but I forgive you. And you have the choice. Yes, Jesus, I sinned. Yes, God, I sinned against you. I do want your forgiveness. More like so many people in the world, I ain't did nothing wrong. There's nothing to forgive. And God says, I forgive you anyway. But you've chosen your path. And the gracious thing about God is repeatedly, time after time after time after time after time, until you take your last breath, He's putting opportunities in front of you to change your mind and say, Yes, God, I did do all those things. But it's not too late. I accept your forgiveness. I beg for your forgiveness. And then say, son, I've been here the whole time. Daughter, I've been waiting for you the entire time. I know because there was times in my youth that I said I've done nothing wrong. I've lived a good life. And that's the trap, isn't it? How often have we seen people... I'm a good person. I live a good life. I, I do good in the community. I do good in society. But have you accepted the price of Jesus Christ? Have you admitted that you have sinned? No matter how much good you've done for the world, have you admitted that you've sinned against God? And have you gone to Him for forgiveness that He has already set aside for you? It's already paid the price for you. It's no different than a man sitting on, sitting in court, ready to go to jail, and someone's already paid the bail for him, and he don't even want to accept it. It's already sitting there. The check's been written. It's already been done. All you have to do is pick it up and say, "Judge, Jesus paid it," and the judge will say, "Then you're free." You leave it sitting there. The judges say you didn't take the payment that was already there. I have no choice but to confine. No choice. And the greatest part about that is we have the best advocate in the entire universe. When we slide into chapter two. 
John writes, My children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the anointing sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid it all. All to him. Oh, I love that song. I wish I could sing. <laughs> I'm not a very good singer. But it's so true. Jesus paid it all. He is our advocate. He's ready to speak on our behalf to God the Father and say, this one's mine. But we have to accept it and confess our sins. We can't just leave it by the wayside. We have to turn to Christ and follow Him. And that's the promise that we have from everything that takes place on Easter morning, from the resurrection. That's the promise that we have for the price that was paid on that cross on Friday. It's the promise that we have with Jesus battling for the keys to the kingdom all Saturday while the world rested. It's that He is there to speak on our behalf. That when we say, Yes, God, I have sinned, Jesus can say, I paid the price for that. That one's now in my hope. John finishes out this little section and says, Now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. What was Jesus' commands? Love God and love others. Everything that's written in the Old Testament is in those two things. You don't steal from people you love. You don't kill people you love. You don't covet from people you love. You don't lie to people you love. You don't commit adultery on people you love. You don't worship other gods if you love God. You don't follow false idols if you love God. You don't pursue things of the flesh if you love God. Everything in the Old Testament is in those two things. Love God and love others. So if we follow Jesus' commands, we can be sure that we know Him. In verse 4, John says, Whoever says, I have come to know Him, but does not obey His commandments is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys His word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in Him. Whoever says, I abide in Him, ought to walk just as He walked. Study the life of Jesus. It's given to us four times in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us what Jesus did while He was on this earth. Walk as He walked. He served others. He preached God's glory to others.
I ain't saying go around and slap people on the forehead and try and cast out demons. If he gives you the strength and the ability to do that, then so be it. But you can share Jesus with them. You can touch their heart with the gospel. And if they accept Jesus, the demons will flee. Trust in Jesus. He is our advocate. He speaks on our behalf to God. That's why he's at the right hand of God right now. That's the purpose of the cross. That's the purpose of the grave. And that's the purpose of an empty tomb is to prove that he lives. And when we believe in him and we trust in him and claim to be his, we will live a life according to his life. We will obey His commands. We will love God. And we will love others. And we will show that in the way that we live. Trust in Jesus. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings you've given us. And if anybody is willing to trust in you right now, Lord, I ask that you Touch their hearts, touch their minds, and lead them in your path, Lord, so that they can see your light and see that you are the source of all true light. That there are no shadows in you, no darkness in you, no hiding places in you, Lord. That they can walk openly in your light and truly be with you. Lord, I ask that you touch our hearts and our minds and carry, send this message out with us so that we can carry it to others around us so that we can serve others as Jesus served so that we can love others and more importantly so that we can love you and that we can honor you with our life and our actions and our words Lord thank you for this message and thank you for the many blessings that you have graciously given us especially with the blessing of the cross it's painful and it's horrible as it may have seemed to the world, we know that without it, our sins would not be forgiven. Without the resurrection of Christ, we would have no salvation. Lord, I ask that you keep that message on our hearts and our minds as we go into this next season of life, leading up to that blessed holy day of resurrection. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.